0: Turning your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 85, Psalm 85. Now, some of you are going to forever be sorry that you didn't come and give a word of testimony. You know you are. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed out of the hand of the enemy. And I believe God will want you to do that. Turn to Psalm 85, and I want to speak briefly tonight on countdown to revival. Countdown to revival. Listen to this. Verse 6. Verse 5 and 6. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Do you ever think of what is revival? Sometimes we think revival is a series of meetings. We're going to have a series of meetings, March 23rd through 26th. The Lord willing, Brother David Miller will be here. He'll be in a wheelchair, demonstrating that a man with a handicap can overcome. He preaches like a country preacher. You'll love him. Don't miss one single service of those exciting days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, all day Sunday, and it'll be a blessing. And uh, Bill, his song leader, will be with him. To lead the singing, Bill Williams. Now, some people think that that's what revival is, just setting a date on the calendar and having a series of meetings. That isn't always a revival. Sometimes it is, but it's a series of preaching meetings. It's a mission. It's a preaching mission. It's days that the church sets aside on the calendar for days of heaven on earth. It's a days of days of spiritual refreshment. But that may or may not be revival. We don't have to wait till the 23rd of March for revival. What is revival? This psalmist said, Lord, wilt thou not revive thy people? Habakkuk said, Lord, in the midst of the years, bring mercy. Wilt thou not revive thy work, O Lord? The word revive means to live again. It means to have refreshment spiritual refreshment so that those who are dead on a doornail will be wide awake. Those who have gone to sleep in the Christian walk will wake up and get going for God. Revival is a time of refreshing. Years and years ago, in 1905, there was a great revival in Wales. The nation had drifted way away from God. The spiritual conditions were low. Church attendance was poor. Sin abounded. Suddenly, like an unexpected tornado, the Spirit of the Lord swept over the land. Churches were crowded. Multitudes were not able to get in. Meetings lasted from 10 a.m. to 12 midnight. There were three services every day. Evan Roberts was the human instrument, but there was singing and testimony and prayer. One way I can recognize when revival is about to come is when the people want to share because there's something in their hearts. But when they get filled with timidity and say, well, I can't do it because I'm scared to death and they especially have to go up there and speak in a microphone and I'm not going to do it, what you're really saying is, I don't have anything worth saying because nothing's happened to me and I don't believe that. Thank God for something that's happened to many, many people. Evan Roberts, the human instrument, but he didn't preach much. There were testimonies, and there was great singing, and there was great revival. And listen to this. Nothing like that had ever happened in Wales before. Infidels were converted. Drunkards and thieves and gamblers were saved. Throngs came. Thousands were reclaimed. Confessions of awful sins were heard on every side. Old debts were paid. The theater had to close. And in five weeks, 20,000 people joined the church. That's in Wales. Somebody heard about the revival in Wales, and they got on a train and went over there, and they got off at the railroad station. There was a man, sort of a security guard we'd call him, like a policeman, he was standing there and somebody, this guy got off and he ran up to him and he said, Tell me, sir, where is the revival in Wales? I've heard about it. The man leaned back against the building. He said, It's right here. For revival starts in the heart. Wilt thou not revive thy people? In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. In 1835, Titus Cohn went to Hawaii. At first, nothing was happening. The churches were in poor condition. Matter of fact, there weren't a lot of Christians in Hawaii. But by 1837, revival had broken out. He ministered to 15,000 people every day. They came and settled down for a two-year camp meeting. A two-year camp. I don't know what they did with their little babies. I don't know what kind of nursery they had whether it was a good nursery or a bad nursery or what, but those people came and stayed there for two years. It reminds me of what happened in, and in, in that period of time. 5,000 people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. It reminds me of what happened down here at the Red River Meeting House at the end of the last century, that is, that is 200 years ago, at the end of the 1700s, as it began to dawn into the 1800s, there was a man named McGrary. He went down to hold a revival meeting, and nobody came. Just two or three were there. But he said, "We're going to go on with it." Next night there were two or three. Next night there were two or three. He said, "We're going to keep on, just pray, and sing, and preach." Then there were six, and then there were eight, and then there were twelve. And if you've ever been down to that little meeting house, you know that it won't hold more than 35 people. Some of our seniors, our our students, went down a few years ago, and we packed ourselves in there, and we could hardly squeeze into that little place. And so it began to overflow into the yard. The first camp meeting in America took place there. Revival broke out. It spread all across Logan County. And then it made like a wildfire spreading across Kentucky and West Virginia and Pennsylvania. And on the other end, Jonathan Edwards was up there preaching and revival fires began to sweep. And America was caught in a great spiritual surge of power and revival. Thousands were saved. But it began with Christians. What do you expect when revival comes? What do you want when revival comes? What do we think will occur when revival comes? Sometimes we say, well, maybe there will be a great big crowd. I hope so. I remember when Bob, what's his name, was here years ago. Who? Bob Harrington. We had a thousand every night in this auditorium. Now, some of you who were not there here then wouldn't hardly believe it. There were people sitting on the floor. We put chairs out, but they had to remove the chairs and just sit on the floor, sit on the platform, sit all over the balcony, everywhere. How many of you remember that when Bob Harrington was here? It was a great meeting. Thousands were here. God blessed. A lot of people were saved. But we've also had some great meetings when there were just a few people present. You see, it's not the crowds, it's the commitment. It is not the announcing of revival days, it's the reality of our faith, those of us who are part of God's church. And when you and I get excited about the things of God and we're willing to confess our sins and turn away from our sins, then God will do something. Over in the book of Joel, turn in your Bible to Joel chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn even to me with all your heart, and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and tear your heart and not your garments and turn unto the lord your god for he is gracious and merciful slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing beyond him even a meal offering and a drink offering unto the lord your god blow the trumpet in zion Sanctify a feast, call a solemn assembly. When days are dark and the clouds hang low and sin is on the march and God's people all but hang their their harps on willow trees and sit down and say we can't sing the songs of Zion anymore. There's too much depression, too much discouragement, too much defeat. That's when God is ready to do something. As long as we can do it in our own strength, God stands back and says, okay, do it. But when we get to the end of our rope and we say, Lord, I need you. I need you. I need the spiritual power of God upon our lives. I need the spiritual power of God upon my life, on the preacher's life, on the choir's life, on the song leader's life, on the deacon's lives, on the Sunday school teacher's lives. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. That's when God begins to listen and say, hey, I believe they're getting serious down there. When will it happen? I read something that uh, was said a number of years ago by A. W. Tozer. A. W. Tozer was one of the great men of God who ever lived. He was uh, director of the Missionary Alliance, group he said personal revival can come anytime, anywhere if you'll follow these suggestions number one get thoroughly dissatisfied with yourself complacency is the deadly enemy of spiritual progress how many of us are really dissatisfied with ourselves we get down our knees before we go to bed and say Lord it's been good and thank you for the thank you for the Mists that have come and the little dewdrops that have come, but Lord, my heart craves showers of blessing. My heart craves something that only God can do. Have we gotten there yet? Number two, set your face like a flint toward a sweeping transformation in our own lives. We must thoroughly put our soul into our desire for God. The Bible calls it wholeheartedness. Apathy and indifference. I-, I like the way you sang tonight. I like the way the choir sang and the instruments played and everything. It looked like everybody was entering into it. But you know, one of our big problems today, and I'm preaching this to the Sunday night crowd because you're the ones that are going to have to carry forward if there is revival, but listen, one of our great enemies is indifference. Where well, we just sit there like a bump on a log. And the song leader gets up to tell us to sing, and we say, Well, I'm going to sing. You have to make me sing. My Lord knows the way. Mm. I guess He does, but it a to me, to me. You see, when we all get involved and it matters to us personally and I get dissatisfied with myself, God can begin to do something. Number three, put yourself in the way of blessing. To desire revival at the same time to neglect prayer and Bible and church attendance is to wish one way and walk another. Number four, do a thorough job of repenting until we allow the consciousness of sin to wound us. We will never develop a fear of evil. It is our wretched habit of tolerating sin that keeps us in our half-dead condition. Let me ask you, are you still shocked at sin? One of the dangers of our day is to say, well, that's the way they act. That's the way they live. Some girl ends up pregnant. Well, so what? That's the way the world was today. That's okay. We have a double standard. We say the girl gets in trouble, the guy doesn't have any problem. There ain't no double standard in God's eyes. And we assume that somehow everybody's doing it. So it's okay. Everybody cusses. Everybody uses barnyard language. Everybody hits and misses at Bible and prayer. And we say, well, that's the way it is. Sad, that's the way it is. Nothing to do about it. Listen, you can do something about it in your life, in my life, I can do something about it. When I want revival, When I get to a point where I say, Lord, I have to have revival, I want spiritual power. I want the the authority of God upon this church. I want the authority of God upon the choir. So when the choir sings, people sit up and listen, and there's there's something going on in our hearts. And people out here will say, you and I would like to get up there in the choir because those are spirit-filled people. Instead of sitting up there chawing, chawing gum and writing notes, and waiting until you can slip out of the choir and go somewhere else. And nobody will see you because you can go out the back way. And they'll think you've gone to get a drink of water. And then they, after a while they don't miss you any longer. And you're disappeared. You've gone to take a nap. Or you've gone home to do your homework. You see, as long as that's going on, that's just a performance. Our choir never performs. This ensemble never performs. They don't perform over here. They might go to some band contest and perform. And they might go to some place up there at Western University and perform, but they don't do performances in this church. They sing messages. They sing to the glory of Christ. And when we sing, it's not just to fill up space. It's for us to get involved so we can praise the Lord. We sang this morning that song, I will praise Him. I will praise Him. Now, it was the first song we sang. It was 10, 10, 10 30, 11 o'clock in the morning. It was a little bit hard, but I looked across the audience. I like it when Buster sang the first stanza of, uh, of that wonderful song, Because He Lives. And when we began to sing the chorus, this place came alive. Everybody began to sing, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. And tonight in the music, it was wonderful. All of the songs. That is our part in praising. Right now, As we read the Word of God and instruct, this is an instruction in revival, but it's also a major part of worship. And so, God can use this to bring revival in our hearts. Number five, make restitution whenever possible. Now, there are some sins for which there is no restitution. I think we need to recognize that. There's some sins for which there is absolutely no restitution. You could try a million years, you can't make up for it. You heard the story of the lady who came to the preacher and said, I've been gossiping and I want to ask God to forgive me. What can I do? How can I make it right? He said, you go get a pillow filled with feathers and shake those feathers out the window. She did it. And then he said, now you go out there and pick up every one of those feathers, put them back in the pillow. Oh, she said, I I couldn't do that. I couldn't find them all. He said, neither can you make up for the damage you've already done. What you'll have to do is give this to God and ask him to never let you do it again. And the sins for which there is no restitution, give them to God. Ask him to cleanse you. Believe him to do it and bury it. Don't live under the guilt of it any longer. Put it behind you. Put it under the blood. If you've hurt somebody, go tell them you're sorry. If they'll forgive you, praise the Lord. If they won't forgive you, you do what you can about it and go on and serve the Lord. There's some sins for which there's no restitution. But the sins for which there is restitution, if I stole $10 from David and God convicted me of it, and I said, well bless David's heart he'll never miss it but Lord I'm very sorry I did that I-, I ask you to forgive me but I never give the $10 back to David I haven't repented I need to give the David the $10 back and we need the discernment to recognize the difference between those sins for which there is no restitution and those sins for which there is restitution and when there is possibly rest- restitution we need to do it that involves a lot of boldness and faith and sometimes that involves a lot of confession confess your faults if we confess our sins God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness number six bring your life in accord with the Savior and with the Sermon On the Mount that he preached. An honest man on his knees with an open Bible and a pad and pencil is sure to find out what is wrong with himself very quickly. I advise us to read the Sermon on the Mount with a piece of paper by our sides and let God speak to our heart. Number seven, be serious minded about revival. Number eight, deliberately narrow your interests. Sometimes we are involved in all kinds of trades and master of none. I guess there's some things that we have to decide I can do that and I'm going to do it and I'm going to be involved in it and Some things that we can't be involved in. And we need to major on those things that God puts on our heart and do it. Then, ninthly, begin to witness. Refuse to rust. Find something to do for God. Make yourself available to your pastor to do something, whatever you're asked to do. And last of all, have faith in God. Have faith in God. God will not fear. He will not fail. God will not fail. Now the last part of that second chapter of Joel. The scripture says, Then the Lord was jealous for his land and pitied his people. When they repented, he pitied his people. Now let me ask you a personal question, then I'll be through. Are you satisfied with yourself spiritually? Spiritually? Or is there a divine dissatisfaction? Some of you are looking down, reading something, or looking at notes or something. You're satisfied with yourself. Not anything the preacher's saying bothers you. Some of you have been asked to do certain things for the glory of Christ, and you, you've, with a, with a quick, immediate answer, said, well, I can't do that. Are you satisfied with that? Are you satisfied with your spiritual life. If you're not, God can do something for you. If you are, there's not much He can do for you. You don't go to a doctor and say, Doctor, I feel so good today. I'm just perfectly well. I don't have any problems at all. I came here to, I know you'll charge me 30 $40 for this visit, but I just came to see you and let you know I feel good. Is that what you do? Most of us would never go to a doctor if we didn't have pains and aches and and all kinds of symptoms of problems, we go to the doctor because we're sick. Until we realize our spiritual sin sickness, we're not going to go to Dr. Jesus. Until we recognize there's a dissatisfaction in our lives and that we need something we don't have, we're not going to have something that we need. Countdown to revival, it begins in my heart and your heart where we come honestly and say Lord there's some need I have I'm not even sure how to identify it but I have a need I don't know how many people have walked down these aisles in the years gone by and just said preacher I don't really know why I came but God put it on my heart to come and I believe those were testing times when God was saying I just want to move on your heart you come I'll show you later why I want you to come. Do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. Is there a hunger for real revival? Revival comes when God's people fall in love with Him all over again. Love finds a way. There are some in this room tonight who are lost. If you died, you have no faith in Christ. Now, you believe about God. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. If you were an atheist or an agnostic, you probably wouldn't be in church tonight. But you believe about God, but have you ever put your trust in Him? Have you ever come to the point where you say, Lord, I believe in You. I trust You as my Savior. Look at this chair. You've seen this illustration many times. I'm sure this chair can hold me. I believe it can hold me. But it not holding me. What do I have to do to get to hold me? down and now it's over. that's what it means to be saved it means to come to Jesus and say Lord I want to trust you swim, live or die heaven or hell I trust you yeah. to forgive my sins I believe what Jesus did on the cross was enough to cover my sins and I believe when he arose from the grave he was alive and he's alive tonight and I want to invite the living Jesus to come and live inside of me And when you do that, he comes in. That's faith. Having faith in what God says in his word. He is not here, he is risen, the angel said. He's not dead any longer. He's alive. We do not worship a dead Jew buried in a tomb in Jerusalem. We worship a living Savior. And He's right here tonight. And He'll come into your heart if you'll invite Him. But you see, he, He knocks at your door, and He's a gentleman. And when you come to the door, he doesn't push his way in and say, I'm coming in ready or not. He just stands there. And you have to invite him. There's a stranger at the door. Let him in. He has been there off before. Let him in. Would you let him into your heart tonight? And if you're saved. I believe that same Jesus is knocking at the door. In Revelation 3.10, a very strange verse. Jesus has been talking about the churches. He comes to the Laodicean church, which is lukewarm, and he says, I want to spew you out of my mouth because you're neither hot nor cold. And then, in verse 21, he says, Behold, I stand at the door. Whose door? The church's door. The Christian's door. I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. I'm talking about saved people. You see, sometimes we get so busy, we don't even hear him. We get so busy with all the things we're involved in, we don't even hear him. But if we will hear him, and we'll open the door, he said, I'll come in if you want me. I'll be the guest at every meal. I'll be the silent listener at every conversation. I'll be the chief honored guest in your home. Now, that's revival. When a believer... Can hear Jesus knocking and saying. I used to have more of a place in your life than I have right now. I'd like to have first place again. May we pray. With our heads bowed and eyes closed just for a moment. We're going to sing a great old song. Number 309. Lord I'm coming home. Now before we turn in that book. Would you look into your own heart. And if there's anything that God has said to you tonight, let him have his way. We'll not have a long invitation unless the Spirit leads. But if God has placed on your heart something that you need to do, either come and kneel at the altar, or make a recommitment of your life, or coming like somebody did today and say, I want to make a difference. I want God to use me. Or you're here tonight and you're not saved, and you're willing to come and say, I want that living Jesus to come and live in my life. Would you whisper that to him now? Our Father, we pray that someone will turn to Jesus tonight in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand, please. 309, I've wandered far away from God. Lord, I'm coming home. The paths of sin too long I've trod. Lord, I'm coming home. While we sing this, let's sing it big and triumphantly. And if God has spoken to any heart, will you come? It was a Sunday night service many years ago when I heard God speak to me. And I bowed my head and said, Lord, I'd like to be saved, but I'm afraid of all these people. And Jesus said, Richard, if you'll take the first step, I'll go with you the rest of the way. And I took that step, and he's been going with me all these years. He'll do the same thing for you. Let's sing.